Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You have stories for us. Uh, John DeBurka Butler joins us for stories <laughs> around the world about a point out. And uh, you're starting in Angola, which, yeah. uh, oh my God, my God, such corruption. Oh, well. It's endless corruption in Angola. It has been for a while. Um, although they might be getting a little bit better and that's partly to do with the fact that they've got rid of the Dos Santos family or a large swathe of the Dos Santos family and they're trying to get rid of the rest of them. So this involves a woman by the name of Isabel Dos Santos. She's now 49 years of age and just two years ago Forbes listed her as one of the richest women in the world and the richest woman in Africa. She was the daughter of the former president, right, and dictator of Angola really. He was there for 30 years. A man by the name of... There a long time, yeah, A very long time. 30 years. Jose Eduardo Dos Santos. He died in July of last year and had been president up until 2017, right? Now, when he handed over power to the new president, a guy by the name of João Lorenzo, it was seen as sort of, look, I'll give you the power if you make sure that me and my family are okay. And Lorenzo said, okay, no problem. But of course, he went straight away and started stripping them of all their immunity and started investigating the family for corruption. Dos Santos, you can't trust anybody in no, politics. No, you can't. It's terrible. Dos Santos himself ended up going to Spain where he died last year and the daughter went off with about $2 billion. $2 billion. Yeah. So she's living in the United Arab Emirates at the moment and the Angolan Supreme Court has now ordered preventative, what they call preventative seizure of assets worth around $1 billion held by her in various different places around the world. She'll still be very wealthy after she gives she back could the $1 be, billion. But she has one other big problem um, that was thrown at her last month and that is that en- Interpol have actually put out a red warrant for her arrest, right? So she's in the United Arab Emirates as far as she knows but she likes to take off and go to London and Paris and various different places around the world. She might not be able to do that as that would severely cramp to. her style. Yeah, it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So uh, she could be in quite a bit of trouble. And given the fact that she said earlier last year that she was going to uh, run for the presidency in Angola at some stage, it seems unlikely. I think it's Wrong. one place she that, might that need That might be to good avoid. news. She was boss of their... O- Oil giant. Yeah, she here. was. Sonnengol, yeah. She was she well was. qualified for that position, was she? Uh, not particularly. I wouldn't, to be fair to her, I wouldn't say she was particularly unqualified for her e- either. She was very well educated and she had a degree in engineering, as far as I know, from some college in London. Um, she had ran a couple of very successful businesses, but I think that might have had oh, something right. to do with the fact that, you know, her dad was the yeah. president and a dictator for a very long time. That's a serious amount of wealth coming out of it oh, all, yeah. though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and you'd be happy enough that the new direction, because she was saying those courts aren't, aren't you know, particularly, you know, fair, um, but the new direction of the country would be fairly on a more even keel. I, I, I think it's probably going in the right direction, all right, and the, and the country itself seems to be happy with the new president. They, they voted him in again last year, as far as I know. Right. So very good. They're doing okay. Okay, uh, on to Nigeria and uh, this uh, terrible event at what must be one of the biggest biker festivals in the world, isn't it? Yeah, this is a biker festival that takes place in the city of Calabar, all right, which is nestled right down in the southeast of the, the country of Nigeria. It's a population of about 400,000, right? Has a reputation for very being very clean, very uh, great place to live and very welcoming. So they've hosted a biker festival in this particular city for the since 2004, right? Obviously with COVID 
but they had massive problems and they couldn't do it for two years. So this was seen as being, you know, the great return. And unfortunately, there was a tragic accident at it. Accident, albeit it seems that the guy who, who caused it had quite a bit of intent. This was a guy who drove a Toyota Camry into a group of people that were involved in what's called the Bikers Parade. It's the sort of seminal event of the, the month-long festival, right? Apparently he was drunk. Um, he decided to drive into this group of people and he started throwing money out of the window. Of course, okay. that attracted people towards the car yeah. and he hit multitudes of them. 14 or 15, depending on various different reports, people have been killed. Another 24 at least have been injured and uh, it was a tragic end to what was up until then a, a very successful event. Throwing the money around sounds very yeah. kind of... Weird, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, he, he was absolutely plastered by all accounts. But although he he is getting the blame, quite yeah. rightly, for this particular incident, organisers are always also being looked at as well for not, you know, putting up enough barricades uh, and not providing enough security. So there could be more to run. Because he that had that, that vehicle in an area where cars weren't allowed. He sh- shouldn't have got into it at all in the first place. So nobody really knows how he got in in the first place. Um, it's a dreadful story, but mm. I must say the story of the biker festival itself—it's Africa's biggest street party. Yeah, it's it sounds and pretty a biker intriguing. Festival. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not one you'd um, it's not one you'd think of to be honest. No, and it's a family thing, isn't it? Really, it is, and it's big uh, with celebrities. Apparently, lots of local celebrities and national celebrities go along and they yeah. turn up at it. And, and the only one I've ever been close to is the one in. in uh, Waterford, uh, there's a bike festival in Waterford. Oh, right. And uh, I couldn't imagine it becoming the biggest event in Ireland. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's well, very you never bikerish. Know. You never know. Oh, I would have said. I saw Ian Jury playing at it once. Oh, well, that's was, one reason to go. And it was spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, in fairness. So now, uh, where have you found this one? Argentina, where there's a dreadful crisis unfolding because the Welsh language might die out there. Yes, the Welsh language might die out there. I should probably start with a bit of context. Um, they speak Welsh in this part of Patagonia. This is known as the Chubut province. It's, it's down in the south, obviously, near uh, it being in Cat- uh, Patagonia, sorry. And a group of 153 settlers, I tweeted out a picture of some of them uh, at Deberka Butler, which you can see, arrived there in 1865. And the reason they went there is because they were being persecuted in their own land. Right. right? The British government had decided that they were going to end education through Welsh in Welsh classrooms in and around the 1860s. And this group of people decided we're getting out of here. So they hopped on the boat from Liverpool all the way over to Argentina where they'd been promised this lovely patch of land, right? And they settled there. And all of these years later, they reckon there's about fifty to 60,000 Patagonian Welsh people living in and around this particular Hard area. Hard to believe. Yeah. It really is. And about 2,000 of them or 3,000 of them speak Welsh, right? Now, at the moment, there's a crisis because they don't have enough L- L- Welsh language teachers there, right? So every year since 1997, the British Council has been funding three Welsh language teachers to go there and to take up roles in schools. They're supposed to stay for a year. Some have gone and stayed and made a life for themselves. Uh, but the take-up has been a little bit slack over the last couple of years. So they're down a couple of teachers and they need more. So as somebody living in Wales at the moment who speaks Welsh yeah. would travel to the other side of the world yeah. and go and live in this community, which sounds like even when you, when you get uh, to Argentina, you're only halfway there because um, it's more over the other well, side. Well, it is. It? Yeah, well, it's, it, there's two settlements and this is the strange thing about it. There's one which is over on the over on the 
east coast just south of Buenos Aires, about 600 miles below there. But then there's two other settlements over on the west coast, well, not west coast, but the west side of the country on the border with Chile, very isolated, uh, where you could end up as well. So uh, Sounds like a movie. Yeah, I, I tell you, there's a movie in the making out of it. <laughs> what a story. If any of you are Welsh uh, language speakers... There's, there's knows, three job openings yeah, there. Yeah, there's three job openings. You may need to travel. Some travel involved. Um, in Venezuela, I have to admit, I found it hard to follow what's going on there. Cause it sounds like they kind of have two, have had two governments. Well, you're after saving me a lot of time there, Tom, actually, because that's exactly the situation that they've been in for the last four or five years, right, since elections took place there in 2018 that were roundly disputed and weren't recognised by lots of people within the international community. So what you had was a government under Nicolas Maduro, who we all know, and then a parallel government over Juan Guaido. Now, Juan Guaido's government was the one that was recognised by the United States and various different countries in Europe and others. Um, But they have now decided, quite remarkably, to get rid of Juan Guaido. I, I just thought this was a remarkable turn of events. The National Assembly, I think on the 1st of January, actually voted 72 to 29 to abolish his government. Now, he pleaded with them not to get rid of the government. He wasn't too worried, quite ironically, about himself. But he said, look, let's keep the government going. At least that's recognised by the United States and various other organisations that we want to recognise us. And I don't know what it means, to be honest with you. I know that in recent opinion polls, 4% of those who were going to vote said that they would vote for him if eventually they got to a situation where they could have proper elections in 2024, which is what they're aiming for. So that's the reason they got rid of Guaido, because he's just not popular enough. But what they're going to do now, God only knows. So it remains two parallel governments. absolutely. Wow, how confusing. God, you wonder which one. Who do you talk to? Who, who, if we sent someone there, who would we talk to? Well, that's interesting because it looks like various different countries. I'll give you one example. Yeah. Spain has reopened its embassy to Venezuela there now, and it will answer to Nicolas Maduro's government. Okay. You saw earlier last year that uh, Macron and various different people were, you know, shaking hands with Maduro again. So he might be coming in from the cold and oh, uh, you never know what will happen next year. a new election year. in 2024. New election in 2024, okay. yeah. Um, strange story from India. We, we see many stories like this. They're always hard to get your head around and mm-hmm. work out what exactly is going on. This is no different. Yeah, this is from the western state of Gujarat where seven people have been arrested for allegedly beating a soldier to death. Now, the soldier in this instance wasn't actually on duty. It was a personal issue that he had. Apparently, his daughter was um, videoed. Okay, she was filmed in some sort of obscene video. Now, we don't know what what the details of that particular video, but he wasn't particularly happy with the teenage boy who filmed it and then decided to upload it onto social media, right? He decided that he would take the law into his own hands and he went with his wife, his two sons and his nephew to the teenage boy's house where he complained uh, about what the boy had done and to the family. A fight broke out and unfortunately sticks and various different sharp implements were used. And this particular man, Melaji Vegela, who's probably in his his late 30s, early 40s, was killed uh, almost instantly. So as a result, seven people have been arrested and... uh, it would seem that they're going to be uh, they're going to be charged with murder. With murder, yeah. very good. Um, in Taiwan, wow, um, they're kind of uh, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, are they? 
I think they are, and, and I suppose I included this because uh, I'm sorry to say it might be one of these big stories that we hope won't happen in 2023 in some respects, because we all could be running for cover if it does. Taiwan uh, is going to extend compulsory military service from its current four months to one year, right? So that comes straight from the president, President Tsai Ing-wen. Now, it's not happening until 2024, so that might mean that there's a little bit of hope there that they might be able to row back on that. But the reason they're doing it is obvious. They've said it themselves. It's because of what they call China's intimidation and threats against Taiwan, which they say, to quote her, are getting more obvious. Um, So they're going to be ramping that up and... uh, it's definitely a part of the world to watch over the coming months. Um, we say more obvious, there was reports of the uh, largest ever Chinese Air Force incursion into the island's air defence. Yeah. 43 Chinese 43 planes. planes that crossed in uh, over this uno- unofficial buffer between the two sides. Very intimidating. Right. And this is kind of seen, isn't it, the, with the, the world order thrown into the air with Putin's invasion of the Ukraine. Yeah. Could be, it, uh, they see it as possibly a time to act. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, coming up next uh, week, you have a few things to tell us about. Yeah, so on Wednesday, Burma will be celebrating, I would imagine, their relatively uh, muted celebrations, the 75th year uh, of its independence. There's elections on Sunday in Benin. Uh, how democratic they will be is uh, highly unlikely or highly dubious. And then Mexico City on Monday, President Joe Biden is going to meet the President of Mexico, sorry, President of Mexico and the Prime Minister of Canada, just Justin Trudeau. Right. No mention of walls anymore, all that is all... All mention of walls seems to, to, bed to be gone for being, now, anyway. Thank God. Um, Jonathan, thank you very much for Thanks, that. Sir. Jonathan Burke Butler, as always, with Tales from Around the World. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.